the couple is deeply in love with each other. Time and space around them seem to stop. They came together by chance. On a beautiful day, the sky of love suddenly collapsed. The girl's corpse was found in a red suitcase dumped on the edge of the forest by the highway construction crew. Traces at the scene showed her head was bleeding and her face was covered in bruises. Welcome back to our channel. Today, we will come together to the tragic murder, the sudden and unwilling death of the beautiful girl Valerie Reyes. She was beaten, tortured, and stuffed in a suitcase until she died. On the eve of her disappearance, Valerie called her mother and told her that someone was constantly following her and wanted to kill her. Her mother revealed that Valerie had been battling depression and anxiety, so she believed her daughter was paranoid, so she only gently advised her and told her to take medicine. But just over a week later, she was shocked to receive the news that her daughter had been murdered. So who is the killer who killed Valerie? What is the motive that leads to such barbaric and dehumanizing actions? Take a deep breath and join us through the door of darkness to learn about the tragic death of Valerie Reyes. Everyone, a warm welcome to New Rochelle. New Rochelle is a city that has close to 80,000 people living in it and can be found in the southeastern part of the state of New York. In 1688, a large number of French exiles, most of whom came from the city of La Rochelle in France, built the city. Since then, a great deal of progress has been made. As of now, New Rochelle has established itself as a significant center for commercial activity outside of the Big Apple. As we move forward with our narrative, we find ourselves in the middle of a visit to Valerie Reyes' house. Her mother, Norma, and her father, Sal, brought her into what would become a very close and tightly knit family before she was born in April of 1994. Valerie was the oldest of four children, and she maintained a close relationship with each of her siblings throughout childhood and into adulthood. Valerie was the oldest kid. By the year 2019, Valerie had already reached the age of 24 and had reached a height of 5 feet and 3 inches. She had brown eyes, jet black hair, and a tattoo of a half-sleeve on her left arm. As a result of her nearly three years of service as a store clerk at the Barnes & Noble location located in the Vernon Hills Shopping Center, a large number of individuals in the surrounding community were familiar with her. Valerie was a true artist at her core, despite the fact that she worked at a bookstore. She had dreams of working in the tattoo industry and was very enthusiastic about her plans and her future. Valerie was a loving and generally open-minded person who was described as a nice lady who constantly stopped what she was doing to talk to the youngsters in the neighborhood. Valerie, however, also possessed a vulnerable aspect to her personality. In addition, I believe that the majority of us can relate to the fact that she suffered from anxiety and, sometimes, depression. It wasn't anything life-threatening, but it was persistent enough to occasionally throw her life off balance. On the 28th of January, Valerie's mother, 
Norma, answered the phone to a very distressed daughter who had called. Valerie's anxiousness was at an all-time high this evening, which was no secret to Norma because she has known her for a long time. She appeared to be having a very difficult time speaking, and she gave off the impression that she was quite terrified about something. When Valerie asked her daughter what the issue was in its utmost detail, her daughter didn't say anything or anyone in particular. Instead, she merely uttered the phrase, I'm scared. I'm paranoid. I'm getting anxiety attacks. Norma did all in her power to coax more information out of her daughter, Valerie, but in the end, all she got was a response that said, I'm terrified that someone is going to try to kill me. There wasn't a whole lot of justification for Valerie to have these feelings. She was the type of lady who always did the right thing, never had any enemies, and lived a careful life. Even though she had broken up with her boyfriend five days earlier, he wasn't the kind of person who would be violent. Norma continued to pry so she inquired as to why she had such an opinion. Someone appeared to be in her home. Might it have been her previous boyfriend? Valerie's response was a resounding no on all three counts. Simply put, she did not feel secure being by herself in her own residence. After discussing it for a bit, the two came to the conclusion that it was just ordinary, newly developed nervousness. There was nothing that warranted an excessive amount of concern, and shortly after this, Valerie and Norma wished each other good night, wished each other a nice night's sleep, and promised to speak again soon. Only soon would never come, as Valerie vanished that very same night while messaging back and forth with a body. Only soon would never come. Later that evening, around 11.35 p.m., Valerie checked her phone and noticed that she had signed out. She boasted, I'm quite the looker now. My eyes are having trouble staying open any longer. She needed to get a good night's sleep because she had work very early in the morning. But this was the final time she would ever reply to anyone, as the very following morning, she missed her shift at Barnes & Noble. This was the last time she would ever react to anyone. Her friends finally found out about the news, and not long after that, her family was informed about what had happened. And despite the efforts of her loved ones to get in touch with her, she did not react to their text messages. Every single one of her calls was automatically forwarded to her voicemail. After this, the circumstances surrounding Valerie's disappearance took on a far more grave tone. And around 4.40 o'clock in the afternoon on the 30th of January, it was formally reported that Valerie Reyes was missing. Posters were disseminated all around the neighborhood. And as word of the situation spread through the New Rochelle community, residents expressed both concern and support for the cause. Even though it was highly unlikely that Valerie's disappearance was connected to the string of homicides committed against young women in the neighborhood over the past few years, the fact that she could not be located at this time was quite concerning. 
The Reyes family wasted little time in locating an FBI agent who had been delegated to assist with concurrent investigations being conducted by the police. According to the evidence presented in court, Special Agent Daniel McKenna had more than 20 years of experience working in his field. And as soon as the investigations were initiated, law enforcement officials wasted no time in locating recent bank activity coming from Valerie's account. It was approximately 5 o'clock in the morning when she used a cash machine in the Manhattan area, according to reports. On Thursday, January 29, it had only been a few hours since her last confirmed communication with relatives and friends when this occurred. The police moved quickly to make a request to review the film from the automated teller machine, ATM. But the results of this request would not be available for many days. It turned out that her apartment was missing quite a few things as well. It seemed as though she had taken her iPhone iPad, as well as many new outfits and a new set of linens, with her. The question that remained was whether or not she had departed of her own will or whether or not she had been taken. In the days that followed, a large number of Valerie's friends and family members turned to various forms of social media in an effort to get assistance in locating their lost loved one. They showed each other images of her and described what she was wearing when she was last seen, but no one seemed to be able to agree on where exactly she had vanished. Some of the temporary posters that were circulated throughout the area. On social media, it was reported that she was spotted for the final time making her way to the train station, while other people said that she had disappeared in Lower Manhattan. In spite of this, the authorities were unable to locate any trace of Valerie anywhere, at least not for the first few days after she went missing. Stillman Lane is located close to the community of Greenwich, and during the wee hours of the morning on February 5, 2019, highway workers could be seen working along the shoulder of the road there. The vicinity is around 10 miles from Valerie's house. It was at that point that they discovered a red suitcase. It looked as though the bag was packed to capacity with a substantial item that was quite hefty. As they came closer to the luggage, their interest was piqued by its contents. The highway workers opened the bag carefully one zipper at a time, and what they discovered inside was a horrifying and terrifying sight. A young adult female's body was found inside. She was in her early 20s. She had on all of her clothes, but the top button on her shirt was undone. Her head appeared to have been injured in some way. Her lips were sealed with multiple layers of tape, and her wrists and feet were chained behind her back. Although the men were unsure of the manner in which she passed away, it was obvious that she endured excruciating pain in her final moments. It turned out to be Valerie. And the very following day, her own father and brother would verify her identification. The woman who had been hiding in the luggage was Valerie. After a week of fear, inquiries, and concerns, Valerie's family and friends were forced to confront the new obstacle of trying to come to terms with their loss as they faced the new difficulty of trying to comprehend their loss. 
The officers who are investigating have redirected their efforts to find her murderer. And as it turned out, preparations for the dress were already underway. Valerie Reyes, 24, from the city of New Rochelle, New York, has been identified as the victim by the police. The body of the woman was discovered earlier this week by the side of the quiet road in Greenwich, Connecticut, in the United States. She was found in a red suitcase when it was open. Her limbs, both hands and feet, were restrained. New York State was notified that Reyes was missing after he went missing. According to the authorities, she was last seen on January 29 at 9 o'clock in the morning. Now, in a statement, the police said that her family was informed of the positive identification yesterday night and that officials are now offering their deepest condolences to them in response to the news. Now, authorities have stated that a cause of death has not yet been established, despite the fact that there are numerous pieces of possible physical evidence. We're gathered, bringing attention once again to the banking transactions that Valerie had completed on the morning that she had vanished. They were able to now look back at the video after they withdrew money from an ATM machine in Eurochelle, as the activity in question was actually a cash withdrawal from one of those machines. And despite the fact that we are unable to view this film, the police have characterized a masculine person wearing dark jeans and black sneakers as he exits a Honda CRV. After that, he took $1,000 out of Valerie's bank account. The license plates of the car were indeed visible on neighboring surveillance footage, and after conducting some research, they discovered that the car was a rental vehicle from a business located in Flushing, which is located in the state of New York. After making just one phone call, it became clear that the vehicle in question had been hired to a person by the name of Javier da Silva. And it just so happened that this individual was previously involved in a relationship with Valerie Reyes. Who exactly is this Javier, then? First things first, let's get his whole name out of the way. Javier da Silva Rojas. Born on January 3, 1995, he was 24 years old, which was the same age as Valerie, and he was a few months younger than she was. The last known location of Javier was in the country of Venezuela, where she was a college student living and attending classes at the time of her disappearance. Now, Venezuela is in the midst of an economic and political crisis, and it has been for several years. This situation has persisted for quite some time. The current situation in Venezuela is one that is both heartbreaking and incredibly fascinating. It is not something that I can explain lightly, but to make a lengthy tale short, the country is currently in a state of complete chaos. And in the year 2017, Javier made his way to the United States in the hopes of starting a new life for himself there. Sadly, this was not accomplished through moral or ethical means. He arrived in the United States about the program that waives visa requirements. Visitors coming to the country for tourism or commercial purposes are permitted to stay for up to 90 days without needing a visa. 
Javier had outstayed his welcome and was living in New York City in a manner that was illegal. On the other hand, he didn't appear to be all that awful. He lived in Flushing, Queens, New York, and worked in a restaurant as a short-order cook and cashier. He was someone who played video games, had a taste for scary movies, and in general stayed to himself. Javier first interacted with Valerie online in January of 2018, while he was using a dating service. When they weren't looking, their friendship quickly blossomed into a romantic attraction, and before they knew it, they were going out on dates. The earlier posts that Javier made on social media make it quite evident that he was head over heels in love with Valerie. According to him, this is a bit odd given the circumstances. The way that she smelled was his most cherished quality about her. He enjoyed being in Valerie's company a great deal since she made being there such a joyous experience. Unfortunately, Valerie felt that she had no choice but to quit this relationship in April of 2018, as Javier had become overly anticipatory of her behavior during their time together. The relationship lasted for a few months. It would appear that he desired to move in with her, but she was not prepared for this at the time. According to the allegations, he was also highly aggressive and refused to accept no for an answer. The personal link to Valerie, combined with the evidence from the surveillance cameras, was sufficient for the officers to doubt his involvement. On the 11th of February, 2019, Javier was taken into custody inside his apartment. Since the body of Valerie was discovered on February 5 in Greenwich, Connecticut, the police in Greenwich have been collaborating closely with their counterparts in New Rochelle, New York. Investigations had been done at a number of crime scenes, hours of security video had been analyzed, and a great number of interviews had been carried out. Detectives from both organizations have been following up on a wide variety of leads. We suspect that Valerie was killed as a direct result of the use of her ADM car, which has received a lot of attention recently. We tracked down a suspect in Queens, New York, thanks to this line of inquiry, which was supported by the findings of other investigators. Detectives hailing from the city of New Rochelle. Assisted by detectives from the Grange Police Department, we were able to track down the individuals responsible for the theft of Valerie's ADM card and place them under arrest. Javier de Selva, a resident of Queens, New York, is a person of interest. However, I want to stress that the probe is still ongoing. The probe has not yet reached its conclusion. There are a lot of dangling threads that need to be brought together. Almost immediately after his detention, Javier began communicating with the authorities, and the news was not good. And despite the fact that he acknowledged burying her body, he argued that the incident was a mistake. He explained to the detectives that it appeared as though she had passed away during their final sexual encounter when she had reportedly fallen off the bed and fractured her skull. It would appear that he was at a loss for what to do. Now, I'm not entirely certain that tying his lover's hands and feet together, placing her inside a suitcase, 
and then emptying her bank account was the kindest way to treat a head injury. Nevertheless, I do believe that it was an approach nonetheless. However, the officers did not believe his account either. Javier was interviewed inside of the detention facility, and he stated that she had fallen. We hit the ground together. She was not giving a response. I pressed my lips to hers and smiled. I made an effort to convince Aaron that I am a bad guy and that I did something improper. I didn't report the crime because I was afraid that they would point the finger at me. According to the allegations, he shackled her body because she was too large to fit in the back. When asked if he was aware that law enforcement would find him, he responded with a yes. He even said that the reason he took money out of Valerie's account was so that he could be caught in the act. However, the officers quickly discovered another possible explanation for his conduct. It was discovered that Javier had sent a message to his new partner on January 24, only four days before Valerie went missing. In the message, Javier said, I just found my ex fucking in my bed with the guy next door. But I didn't want to tell you shit. Valerie had gone missing on that same day. We have finally come to the conclusion that Javier was the one who was in the wrong during all of this. However, what exactly occurred with Valerie Reyes is unknown. Valerie resigned from her position as a sales associate at Barnes & Nobles at the Vernon Shopping Complex on the afternoon of January 28, 2019. Later that evening, she confided in her mother, Norma, that she was feeling tense and apprehensive, and that she was terrified that she was going to be murdered by someone. We have no way of knowing if this was only an unlucky premonition or whether she was aware of Javier's plotting all along. During Valerie's conversation with her mother on the phone, Javier was already up to no good, but Valerie was unaware of this fact. Javier was seen on surveillance video in Queens, New York, leaving his residence at 10.50 p.m. on the night of the incident. And then, five minutes later, a different camera caught Javier taking a rental car out of a garage close to his house. After entering the coordinates of the church in the vicinity of Nourishell's house into Google location data, Javier then reportedly drove to Nourishell's house and he arrived at Valerie's home only a few short minutes after the stroke of midnight. After that, he made his way to the front door while simultaneously placing his phone in airplane mode. As soon as Valerie and Javier gained access to the property, an argument broke out between the two of them. After a violent altercation broke out, Valerie was left with a traumatic injury to the head, bruising around the face and a huge hematoma on the forehead as a result of the altercation's transition into a physical one. After that, Javier wrapped her mouth with multiple layers of packing tape and tied her wrists, feet, and hands together with twine. And while she was still conscious, he put her inside a suitcase and closed the lid. After that, Javier put the suitcase that still contained her in the rental car he had rented. By stealing her fingerprint, Javier was able to gain access to her phone at around 3 o'clock in the morning. Very quickly after this, 
He took advantage of the chance to look at her photos, notes, and surfing history on her computer. However, Valerie's phone has stopped pinging the nearby mobile towers, and this is most likely due to the fact that she has it set to airplane mode. After that, he used her fingerprint once more to log into her bank account, which was stored on her phone. And approximately 30 minutes after this, he went to an ADM and took $1,000 out of her account. Because this particular ADM was equipped with a camera, it was at this precise moment that Javier committed the oversight that would prove to be his greatest liability and lead to his final capture. After he had obtained the funds, he proceeded to drive toward Greenwich in an easterly direction, retrieved the suitcase from which Valerie was hidden, and discarded it in the forest a few meters away from the road. Surveillance footage that was not made public showed that he got back to his house at 9.43 in the morning. He had changed his clothes since the previous evening, as evidenced by the fact that he was now donning a different ensemble. On January 30, her mother, father, and recent boyfriend all reported Valerie missing to the New Rochelle Police Department. In the meantime, Javier withdrew another $1,000 from Valerie's bank account. Valerie's mother, father, and recent boyfriend all reported Valerie missing. After that, he took back the rental car, washed it, and then returned it a few days later. Javier took a total of $5,350 out of her bank account while her family and friends were left in a state of worry and misery. He decided to upgrade his own technology, so he sold her iPad and put the money toward an Apple monitor and a laptop for himself. After that, he would subsequently take a picture of himself flaunting his newly acquired technological accoutrements. The whereabouts of Valerie's body was unknown to the outside world for a total of eight arduous days. We have no way of knowing how long she had survived, but we do know that she was confined in a suitcase that eventually turned into her own coffin. On February 5, 2019, highway workers made the happy discovery that Valerie had been found. Unfortunately, one of these employees took pictures of her dead body and sheared them with pals before alerting the police. This is a terrible turn of events. As a quick aside, I should mention that this moron was fired after Javier was detained. Six days later, Valerie's bank card and driver's license were discovered to be in his wallet. Both items belonged to Valerie. Additionally, his DNA would be discovered on the red suitcase, as well as on a vaginal swab that was performed on Valerie's body. On February 12, 2019, charges of kidnapping that resulted in death were brought against Javier da Silva. According to the findings of the Office of the Connecticut Medical Examiner, his ex-girlfriend had been the victim of a murderous attempt to suffocate her. On February 5, 2020, nearly one year after the incident, Javier entered a guilty plea to the charge of kidnapping Valerie Reyes. In exchange for a sentence of 30 years, this was given. And in September of 2021, he was presented with that very thing. 
According to the majority of these reports, a number of victim impact statements were distributed. Within the scope of these assertions, a mother's worst nightmare, according to Valerie's mother, is to have to endure a day as dreadful as today. To adequately express the amount of happiness that Valerie has brought into our lives would take me a full day. My three sons are utterly shocked and shattered by this news. You, Javier da Silva, are a self-centered, materialistic, and heartless individual. My prayer for this day is that Valerie be granted the justice she so richly deserves. Following up in court, Judge Brusetti stated that what you did to this woman was appalling and he found it repulsive. Any individual who is capable of doing anything like that cannot be considered a good person by definition. Also, a wicked person is someone who is capable of doing anything like that. In order to satisfy the demands of justice, a bad deed must be punished with a lengthy prison sentence. It is plain to see that Javier kidnapped and brutally murdered an innocent young woman who had her whole life in front of her, and he did so in an extremely callous manner. The last moments of her life and the last memory that many people will have of her will be of Valerie, terribly injured and locked in her own suitcase. This is a vision that is among the most horrifying ideas that can be had about the situation. The reasons that Javier acted the way he did were both ludicrous and apparent at the same time. He killed his ex-lover out of jealousy and greed for power and money. The nearly non-existent feelings of concern and compassion were replaced by poisonous amounts of self-respect. Because Javier's visa had already expired well before he committed his crimes, he is now at risk of being deported immediately after serving his sentence in prison. However, in order for it to happen, he will first need to survive until the year 2049. It is not yet known whether he will move back to Venezuela or to Portugal, possibly both. Because the killing of Valerie was so pointless, even Valerie's murderer has come away from this experience with nothing but guilt. She was taken from this world in the most heinous of circumstances, and she deserved so much more time on this earth than she was given. Her mother, Norma, continues to use phrases like humble, artistic, and a true warrior when describing her daughter. She had a carefree attitude and a gorgeous grin that made everyone she knew, including her family and friends, feel more upbeat and joyful, and without being with her brothers. The loss of their sister continues to leave their brothers inconsolable. After Valerie passed away, her loved ones and friends started a GoFundMe campaign to contribute money toward paying for her funeral expenses. Over $31,000 was contributed by members of the community in order to assist with Valerie's burial expenses after she received a significant amount of support from the neighborhood. A callous fool once again took the life of a young woman without a reason, and sadly, the investigation into the murder of Valerie Reyes, another young woman, is now essentially closed. There were not many interesting side notes associated with this case. Nevertheless, 
One thing that did strike me as odd was the presence of numerous obvious errors in the official court documents. For instance, a lawyer claims that Valerie's body was there for approximately two weeks, despite the fact that their own dates of January 29 and February 5 would prove that just eight days passed. I'm not sure if this is an exaggeration or not but it's the epitome of unprofessional behavior nonetheless. Simply state the facts, please. There were unsubstantiated claims that Valerie was seen in town after the day she vanished, which undoubtedly contributed to the confusion surrounding this case. I want to emphasize once more how important it is for witnesses to give statements that are accurate. As we come to the end of our day, I want to express my deep gratitude to all of you for taking the time to read this. Before we part ways, I would like to hear your thoughts on the tragic circumstances surrounding the case of Valerie Reyes. Do you believe that the 30-year sentence handed down to her killer is sufficient? Please share your ideas in the comment box below. Your input is invaluable and helps to deepen our understanding of these complex issues. Once again, I thank you all for being here today. Your presence is greatly appreciated. I'll be back very soon with the next episode. But until then, let's remember to look out for one another. Take care and goodbye.